The Holy Gospel continues according to Luke, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out of the house and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to the son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Congregation, you may be seated. So show of hands, how many of you have already asked your parents for their inheritance before they passed away? Oh! <laughs> okay, I wasn't expecting that one. This is a story that we've probably heard a million times, right? And as soon as we start to hear a man had two sons, we probably think, oh, yeah, 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 the parable of the prodigal son. We know how this goes. And then we might, like, miss out on hearing some of the details in a new way that we haven't heard before. But it is a story that Jesus tells so eloquently and that speaks not only into people in Jesus' day, but to us here in our lives as well. All right, first, who was Jesus talking to here? Did you, did you hear that at the very beginning in verses 1, 2, and 3 that Nancy read? He's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of that day who were beginning to grumble. You know the grumblers. The people who are always like, meh, 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 under their breaths, and they were looking constantly, judging everything that Jesus did. And what was Jesus doing? They were complaining that he was welcoming sinners and eating with them. He was hanging out with the tax collectors, the people who worked for the Roman government, and taxed the Jewish people, sometimes taking a little bit for themselves as well. People who had a shady reputation, and everyone else who fits into that category of sinner. The people who didn't perfectly live up to religious law, like that of the Pharisees and the scribes, so they thought. And so Jesus tells first the story about a man or a woman who has lost her coin and a man who has lost his sheep. Go searching for those things. Rejoice when they have found them. And then Jesus tells this story, the story about a man who has two sons. Even though it's a story that's known by the younger son, the prodigal son who goes and spends it all, 
It's really a story about the Father. But first, we have to remind ourselves of a few things. In Jesus' day, this was an agricultural society, which meant that all that a family had was probably invested in their land. The farm that they had, the animals that they had, they didn't really have a lot of cash on hand, or very, very little. And if they needed something, they would trade what they had with their neighbor who maybe had what they needed. It was a society in which you didn't just work and live on your own with no contact with the neighbors around you. It was a society in which everyone depended on one another, in which community was everything, in which family and the honor that you owed to your family was everything. It was not a culture where you went out and did your own thing. Because to do so would not only bring shame upon your family, but it would lose the respect of everyone in that community. Now, another unique difference between then and now is that the patriarch or the head of the family never ran. How many of you like to run or ran back in, back in your younger days? Some of you? Okay. That was just not something that people did, especially not someone in that level of importance as the, the head figure of a family. Because to do so would be humiliating. It would be a sign of disrespect, of disgrace. It was unbecoming. And in addition, the head of the family was always the host. He was always the host at every meal that happened at his house. And so he was the one that was at the head of the table from beginning until the end, when the last guest left. If you were to get up at any point, it would be considered rude to all of your guests. It was something that was never done. And certainly, never under any circumstances, would your children disobey you would not listen, because to do so would bring shame, not only upon you, but upon your entire family as well. And so here, this brings us to our younger son, which is, who is so bold that he dares to ask his father for his inheritance before his father is even close to being on his deathbed. And you have to wonder why that was. What was going through his mind? Did he want a little independence? Did he want to go and try and make a name for himself, a future outside of his father, outside of the family farm? You have to wonder what's going through his head. And maybe the question that you really have to ask is what kind of father does he have? How dumb! Why would the father just give away half of his property? to his son, knowing full well what could happen if he did, right? How many of you have thought that? Like, what kind of father is this? Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> How dumb could you be, right? And what does the son do? He goes off. He spends it all. He wastes it all. Who knows how he spends it? What kinds of things he's doing? And then he realizes how much he's in need. And did you notice how he realized that? 
Was it because he spent his last dime? No. What hit the land? A famine hit the land. So it's not only that he ran out of money, but a famine hit the land. So now suddenly everybody was in great need. Everybody had little to share with one another. And so at that point, he realizes how hungry he is. And he lets himself be this hired hand to where? He is this hired hand serving, feeding the pigs. Now, if you were a Jewish person in that society, pigs were unclean. You were not supposed to touch pigs, come near pigs, eat pig at any cost because they were ritually unclean. And so here he is feeding the pigs who are eating better than he. And he has that like aha moment where he comes to himself and he realizes, what am I doing? Where am I? What have I done? Why did I do this? Why did I think to myself that I could do this on my own? That I didn't need my father. That I didn't need the very people that I came from. And so he begins to realize that if he goes home, maybe his father will hire him back. And surely as a hired hand, he will be able to do better than where he's at now. And so on the way, he comes up with exactly what he's going to say. I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now, the other thing I should tell you is that in that society, there was something known as a katsada ceremony, where if you had squandered your family's inheritance, all the people of the town would come out to greet you with this earthen vessel, and they would smash it down on the ground and yell out your name. And by doing so, you would be cut off from your family. You would be cut off from the community that you came from because of the dishonor that you had brought to your family by losing what your family held. Now you know, there's always in every community the people who are the observers. And so you know that as he was making his way back home. Word probably spread to that older, to the father. And so the father does the very unthinkable thing for a patriarch to do. He goes running down the road, his robe flapping in the wind, going as fast as he can, probably heavily panting because he's never run before in his life, trying to get to that son. And before his son can even apologize, get any word out of his mouth, the father wraps his arms around him, kisses him, because he is so grateful to see him and to have him home. And then as the younger son begins to spew his apology to him, the, oh, the father has already thought ahead, has already called to the servants, get a robe, get a ring to signify who this person is. Get sandals for his feet because only the servants went barefoot. And this is no servant. This is my son. Kill the fatted calf. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Of a son 
who made a lot of mistakes along the way, and yet is received in such an incredible way. Before the town can even get the earthenware vessel, the father makes clear what the response toward him will be. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. For my son, who was once dead, is now alive. Who was lost has been found. Now the question in this parable arises. Would we find ourselves at the table to celebrate that younger brother's return? Would we be able to rejoice and celebrate? Or would we find ourselves like that of the older son, who hears about what's happening and is immediately filled with this anger and bitterness and resentment toward the younger son? The younger son who has gone off, had no respect for the family, no respect for his father, done whatever he wanted, and now comes home with nothing to show for himself, and the father is having a party. Doesn't seem fair, does it? So many things in our lives, in our world, we judge on its fairness in terms of human standards, not in terms of God's standards. And so I want you to notice that for the second time, the father leaves his house just like he did to greet the younger son, he leaves the table as the host that he was to go out to that older son and invite him to come to the table. Invite him to be a part of this meal and tries to explain to him that everything he has is already his, that he has already been there with him. And the story doesn't, doesn't exactly let us know what that older son decides to do. So what do you think Jesus is trying to tell us this day? What do you think Jesus is trying to have us wrestle with in our lives? I think sometimes in these parables, they're meant to go, they're meant to take us so deep in our lives of faith. And sometimes we see ourselves in the parable, and I don't think that we're one of these characters. I think we can be all or both of these sons at various times in our lives. Think about the times in your life when you might have been like that younger son. Maybe not so bold enough to ask for your inheritance, but maybe you thought you could do this on your own. In our society that so values independence, we sometimes forget that we need one another, that we need God, not only in our lives at some point, but in our daily lives. We need God, just like that younger son needed his father. Sometimes it's so easy in our lives to go our own way, to not let anyone know when we're struggling, to not let anyone know when we don't feel so good, to not let anyone know when things are becoming harder. Because we so long for our independence and we fear losing it 
that we forget our need for God in our lives. And with the older son, I am sure that we can relate to his experience too, to that anger and resentment and bitterness that can stir up in us sometimes years after we have been hurt, after a time in which someone has done something to us that has left us feeling not so good inside, drudging up all of those feelings, making us relive it every time it comes to our minds. Who is it that we are resentful towards in our lives? What is it that we're holding on to that holds us back? Those are important questions for us to wrestle with this day because both our resentments and our notion that we can do it all by ourselves in this world get in our way, get in the way of our relationship with God who, if you haven't guessed it already, is likely the father figure in this story. A story that, despite being named after the younger son, is really a story about the father. A father who is crazy enough to give us the freedom to make our own choices and sometimes make messes and make mistakes along the way but a father who never holds those mistakes or failings or our forgetting against us. A father whose love is always what guides God's response toward us. And a father who begs of us to let go of all of our resentments, to let go of all that we hold onto and that holds us back from letting ourselves be a part of the table from letting ourselves be a part of the celebration, even when it's not happening in our honor. That is hard work, people. And remember that you can't do that alone. You need God's help to be able to help you separate the person from what's been done as a way to slowly, over time, let go of that resentment And with the help and the grace of God, you can remember the most important part of this parable is that we have a God who searches out for us when we have lost our way and a God who celebrates every time we draw close to God's presence. Amen.